Well, over the last several messages that I've preached, I know some of you are still grabbing your seats, but that's all right. I've had the sense that God's been speaking to me about the power of declaration and the power of confession. And uh, I brought that message uh, as a vision and under new era, but I also shared it last time I preached here, this idea that uh, there's power in confession and power in declaration. This idea that we need to give voice to our faith and declare the promises of God over our lives and over our church. And I feel like this got the sense in my heart, like the enemy who opposes God's people, right? Because he opposes God, he opposes God's people, actually wants God's children to stay quiet. He, He doesn't want us to get our faith voice in operation. He doesn't want us to begin to declare the promises of God because even the enemy knows the power of a faith-filled declaration or a faith-filled confession. So he wants us to stay quiet, but not only does he want us to stay quiet, God's revealed something else to me about this as I've been in my quiet times, which is he also wants God's people, if he can, to have a defeated declaration. Not only stay quiet, but have a defeated declaration. Some of us remain silent and others of us, I'm not sure if we're aware, have a negative and defeated declaration. I spoke about how words are powerful and I believe that with all my heart. Words are not just for communication, but they're also for creation. Words have a powerful impact on our lives and on the lives of others. Do you recognize that? We see this play out in Matthew 4 and I thought, What a good place to go to see Jesus in this very situation. If Jesus can be tempted and he has to have a powerful faith declaration or hold on to the promises of God or hold true to who God is, then how much more will we need to do it? And we see in Matthew 4 this understanding when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. I want us to read from Matthew 4, verse 1 to 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You would be, wouldn't you? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice how the devil challenges Jesus to bring his confession outside of the will of God. He attacks Jesus in his greatest natural need, which was food, right? It even bothered to tell us that Jesus was hungry. So in Jesus' situation, his greatest area of need in the flesh was food. And so the enemy tries to get him in his greatest area of need. Let me just say this. In your life, your challenge will come often in your greatest area of need. Where you need something in your life will probably be the area the enemy will attack you in because he did it with Jesus. And he's giving Jesus a thought which he hopes will lead actually to an action. First, he challenges Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God. Then he gives him a thought. Tell these stones to become bread. In other words, get outside of the will of God in this situation. Why don't you provide for yourself? In this moment, that provision, had Jesus done it, would have taken him outside of the will of God. And the enemy's desire is to get us outside of the will of God. Now watch Jesus' response to this temptation. Matthew 4 verse 4 says, Jesus answered, 
It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is that not praise? Is that not worship? Jesus declaring that God will stay in his rightful place. In other words, I won't get outside of the will of God. I need God to provide for me. He's not willing to get outside of God's will. I'm living according to my Father's will. My trust in God the Father for my provision. Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7. Then the devil took him, you know this well, to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, when the enemy came at Jesus, Jesus was ready with a declaration. Jesus knew the will of the Father. He was ready to stand his ground against any work of the enemy. Declaration is not just to take us to a place or a reality of faith that we haven't experienced yet. It's also to stand on the promises and the truth of the word of God. And Jesus himself had to stand on the word of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil takes him to the highest mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he says to Jesus, I will give you all of this if you'll just bow down to me in worship. Has the enemy not always wanted our worship? Does he not want people to bow down to him in worship? Now the splendor is all that would appeal to Jesus's humanness. All the things we would enjoy in the natural are being appealed to. But in order to have it all, the enemy requires that Jesus give his authority, his attention, and his worship over to the devil. Now watch Jesus' confession. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' confession within the will of God had authority. And in the end, the devil had to flee. And in the end, the devil had to go. When our confession is in the will of God and we stand on the promises of God, guess what the devil has to do? He has to flee. The confession of our mouth aligned with the will of God for our lives has great authority. It helps us stay the course and stand our ground. And in the end, the enemy will leave us defeated. Who's holding on for that? In my own life right now, I'm battling a very frustrating sickness, which I don't talk about a lot, but I feel it's important to talk about at the moment. And this sickness is a lung condition that's causing me some major problems, including having enough energy and breath to actually preach. And you say, well, if you didn't yell as much, you'd probably get through it all right. This caused me a few problems. But greater than the sickness itself is the internal dialogue if I'm not aware of it. It says this, why have you not been healed if you're a man of faith? Maybe God does not care about your health. You serve God faithfully. Why hasn't he healed you? Sound like the voice of the enemy? 
So I've got to have a declaration of faith to stand against the accusations of the devil who will try to get me outside of the will of God. Come on, it's subtle, but it's there. If the devil tempted Jesus to put his trust somewhere other than God, he will also tempt us in the same way. I can promise you this morning, I'm not the only one with that challenge. I'm not the only one with a voice says, come on, does God really love you? Are you really who he says you are? Is he really going to heal you? Come on, we all have a dialogue where the enemy will challenge our faith. If you are saved and living a life that is declared that you're going to give yourself to serving God, then you will face this kind of battle. Welcome to the battle. And it's that kind of temptation. So my declaration becomes vital. God is good, no matter what I face. I trust him completely, regardless of the outcome. I will worship God and him only, regardless of my circumstances. God is with me, and I will be victorious in this situation. But what does true victory look like for me? It could be healing. It might come on earth, and I'm believing God for that, or it might come in eternity. But I'll tell you what victory looks like for me. Even in my difficulties, I will bring glory to God. That is victory. I've overcome the evil one with a powerful confession of the reality of my heart. Even in the midst of my difficulty. Come on, church. Even in the midst of your difficulty, your life can still bring glory to God. Your life is still a great declaration of the goodness and faithfulness of God. When you are facing difficult times, the confession of your faith is vital. It's powerful to speak the promises of God and align yourself with the will of God. So I continue to encourage you when things get difficult, find scripture and find the promises of God. Please be in the word of God. Know what God says over your life. When you do that, you invite God into your circumstances. And you release your authority in Christ against the schemes of the devil. See, this is why prayer is so powerful. And why prayer meetings should actually be overpopulated. Prayer meetings, the room, we've got a prayer room over there. It seats about 26, 25, 26 people comfortably. We could probably squeeze 100 in if we really wanted to. But it should be full because prayer is a part of a powerful declaration. We pray and we declare who God is. We claim the truth of his word over situations that we either personally face or we as a church are facing. We exercise our God-given authority through Christ and out loud we speak with powerful confession. Prayer meetings are the best thing to be a part of because you begin to confess and invite God into the situation. But I have another thought this morning to add to this idea of declaration, dangerous when I get different thoughts, that the way you live or the way you conduct yourself or the way you deal with people, the kind of lifestyle you live is also a declaration. It's not an alternative to the spoken declaration, but it's an as well as. When the way we live matches up with what we say, it becomes an incredible witness to other people's lives. And it often actually gives you greater access to their lives and to speak into their lives. The way you live has a powerful declaration attached to it. Do you see this? Now, this is either a positive declaration or it can be a negative one. 
Let me put it this way. If I'm kind, considerate, caring, helpful, slow to anger, loving of all people, my life will make a positive and godly impact on others. Can you agree with that? However, if I'm short-fused, this is not my list. I didn't write my list. Some of them might be, but don't laugh, Angela. If I'm short-fused, grumpy, selfish and self-centered, dishonest, not caring. Okay, look, sometimes I'm grumpy, all right? Sometimes I am. If I say I'm a Christian, then the outcome of that kind of lifestyle will turn people off the idea of God and away from even considering church. I've said before, my life is my leverage. My conduct is my witness. And my lifestyle and behavior is a sure sign of the state of my heart and the attention of my mind. What I think on and what I believe will be seen in how I act. So your life is a declaration. I just want to give a prophetic exhortation for a moment, something I feel in my heart. Do you know, I reckon Sunday morning worship should be the most energetic moment of our week. When we gather to worship, when we gather to praise, and to put God in his rightful place, it should be electric in the room. Because all week you've somewhat been frustrated. You've let your life be a witness and you've somewhat given God glory, but you're all, all bets are off when you gather in church. You don't have to be restricted in any way. You can give God absolutely everything you've got, and it should be the most electric moment of your week. And let me encourage you on something, because for me, when I came to church to find the pretty girl who I'd seen and met the week before, I walked into an atmosphere and my life was immediately confronted with love and hope. And I couldn't give it language, but now I recognize what it was. The first moment I sat in worship, I began to cry and could not explain what was going on in my heart. Our collective worship and the energy of it and our willingness to submit to God can have a huge impact on somebody's life without even a word being said yet. So it should be completely electric and on fire in this place. From front row to back row, we should be ready, willing, and able to give God all of our praise. Can I even get maybe a reserved amen? That's good. But I want us to look a little further at this this morning. The book of Titus. This is a letter that Paul writes. And uh, Paul's heart here is that he would further the faith of God's people and their knowledge of the truth that would lead to godliness. Paul has a passion for the church to represent God well among non-Christians. Look at Titus chapter 3 verse 1 to 2. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. Did you see the first word? It's remind. Remind the people. In other words, the people already knew this. We've already talked about this. We've already taught this. Remind the people because it's vitally important how they live their lives, how they conduct themselves becomes really important in their witness. We need to be reminded that our lives are a witness. We need to be reminded that our conduct matters and it has consequences in the world around about us. Paul's desire was that their lives of believers should produce a favorable impression 
on the non-Christian world. And that would still be Paul's heart this morning. It would still be Paul's message today for the church. And if you don't like today's teaching because it's confronting how we live, then take it up with Paul in eternity. Send Paul an email about it. See, Paul was unashamed to correct bad behavior from believers because of the impact it would have on those who are not part of the church and hadn't yet become Christ followers. In our passage here in Titus, we see the need for submission to rulers and authority, which related to government. And it's seen in a number of references actually in the New Testament. If there are taxes to pay, pay your taxes. If there are laws to uphold, uphold the law. He says, remind them to be obedient. Because obedience shows a visible demonstration of their attitude of submission. Remind them to be ready to do whatever is good. When you study this particular phrase, look into it. Its context is relating to government and community. That the people of God need to be ready to do good is to be willing to participate in activities that promote the welfare of the community. Is that not a good thing? It's community focused. It's outside the four walls of the church. The people are willing to participate in community transformation. In fact, have a heart to be in government and make a difference. Have a heart to be in local government and community agencies and make a difference in the world. Be willing to participate in ministries that are focused outside of the church and toward the community. Care about the welfare of our community. It goes on further though. It must, they must not stand coldly distant from endeavors that are about community transformation, but to be engaged and show that Christianity is a constructive force in society. Does anyone still want that today? That the papers would report on the good things that the churches are doing to make a difference in community. I know many of you here are engaged in community in many, many different levels. And it's a great thing because the church represents Christ And it's important how people see the church. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle to everyone. Anyone challenged slightly by that list of demands? None of you are challenged by that? That's good. Then no one will give me grief afterwards because everybody will be gentle (laughs) toward me. But this kind of lifestyle actually requires a deep inner grace towards people. And the deep inner grace comes from a recognition of the grace that we each have already received ourselves. The word peaceable here in this context simply means not to engage in pointless quarrels and conflicts. Oh, if Paul was here today, would he want to talk about Facebook or social media? Would he want to talk about pointless arguments and quarrels for the sake of arguments and quarrels? Would he want to say, I I preach Christ and Christ crucified? In other words, I kept the main thing, the main thing. Be peaceable. Don't get caught up in pointless arguments and quarrels. For some of us, that could be a good truth and a good revelation for us to get today. Let my life reflect the glory of God in every sphere of my life. Would I be peaceable? Let's read on in this chapter, Titus 3, verse 3 to 6. At one time, we too were foolish. This gives revelation to what I just said before. We need to understand the grace that we've each been given in order to show others grace in the midst of their journey. At one time, we too were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who's been saved? Who's had their life redeemed? Who's on a journey of restoration? Who knows the grace and mercy and kindness of our loving Savior? Come on, when we remember that, we're able to show grace and mercy towards others without restraint. A couple of thoughts on this that help motivate us to live a life of declaration. The first is this, the motive from our own past. The motive from our own past. Remembering your own past, what you've been able to overcome through a relationship with God is powerful motivation for each of us to be gentle and kind towards those who are not in a relationship with Christ. It's vital to remember what Christ has done for each one of us. For when we are dealing with those who right now don't know Jesus, be gentle in our dealings with him, slow to anger and quick to love and show grace. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. It's the same in the second point, the motive from our present salvation. The reason I bring it up a second time is this is a theme of expression formed from Paul's passion for us to remember the powerful truth of our salvation, to not forget what God has done for us through sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross and take the punishment that was ours upon himself in order that we might be made righteous with God. Paul doesn't want us to ever forget to remember who we once were and who we are now thanks to Jesus. This marvelous salvation that if we allow it to still impact us daily will help us in the way we act and treat others. This particular passage reminds us to consider the kindness and love of God through the sending of a son and for us to show the same act of kindness and love toward others. There's a key to all of this because living a life of declaration that honors God is going to take more than one message or a series of messages, or even the strongest will in the room who says yes to the message and yes to the truth and says, I will live a life of declaration. Our will will not be enough. A message series will not be enough. There's got to be more to what Paul is saying. He's wanting to shift us from just a desire and a will into something more concrete, to have faith, to verbalize our confession, and to live a life that glorifies and honors God goes beyond Sunday, that goes beyond Sunday, sorry, and declares to others the goodness of God is going to take more than just my will. Will is good, but it's got to be more. How do I live a fruitful life of obedience and kindness and gentleness and love toward all people? I'm glad you asked me that question because it's found in this passage. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Washing is best interpreted as the removal of sin. So I want to just pause on this for a moment. It's not actually talking to run this passage directly to baptism. Though baptism is the public declaration of my faith and recognition that I've been made right with God and had my sin removed. We are washed clean. But I just want to challenge a few of us here this morning because I wonder how many of us have actually not been baptized. 
I wonder how many of us have come through church and grown up in church and somehow missed going through the waters of baptism and maybe, just maybe, you've been putting it off or you feel like it's too late now. I've been a Christian for so many years. It'd be weird for me to go through the waters of baptism. No, it wouldn't. It'd be an incredible faith step because it's a great declaration of giving everything to Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're sitting there, you've heard the baptism services coming up, and you're sitting there saying, well, I haven't yet got baptized. Maybe it's awkward now because I've left it too long. Don't let it be awkward, and don't let fear talk you out of it, or what man might think of you, but say to God, God, I'm going to make that public declaration of my faith to you. Let's get you baptized. It's so good to know that the washing of our sin has happened. It's best understood as the transformation or the beginning of the transformation of one's life. Meaning to make new. It speaks of the development of an entirely new nature as contrasted with the old. The process of renewal. So rebirth is baptism. Renewal means that we live a life that will now impact others with the kindness and love. And it's simply put this way. It's the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not down to just your will. It's not down to a series of messages. It's a recognition that it's the Holy Spirit within us that will bring about a transformation in the way we live and act towards others. I mean, we can be kind because we were raised well. And we can be somewhat loving. But when it comes to loving the entire world the way that God does, we're going to need the impartation and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Is anybody with me? See, he alone can produce a renewed nature and set of values and behaviors in our lives. That's the truth of my life. And it's the truth of many of your lives here today. Thank goodness God saved us. But thank goodness he filled us with the Holy Spirit who set about bringing transformation in the way we live our lives. The Holy Spirit produces change in us through transformation. And that is a lifelong journey of becoming like Christ. The Holy Spirit, it says, was poured out generously. He was poured out generously because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon your life generously. And he is at work in your life, setting about making you new. Who thinks that's a good thing? As believers, we have so much to be thankful for. I believe as we each continue to make room in our lives for the Holy Spirit, continue to invite him into our lives, we will live lives that declare the goodness of God, his transforming power in us, and we will have the faith to declare his word and have a confession that opposes the work of the enemy. Because my sickness in and of itself, without the Holy Spirit, I would feel somewhat defeated because it's such a challenge. But because of the Holy Spirit in me, guess what? I always have hope. I'm never without hope. I've always got life in me. It's the Holy Spirit at work within me that gives me the strength to stand my ground against the work of the enemy. I wonder this morning, if we could just take a few moments, just invite again the Holy Spirit to come and touch our lives, to recognize that we can have the best programs We can have the greatest strategy, can have incredible vision, but without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. It's in our own strength, it's in our own might, 
It might please people, but it will never please God. We need the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, we're all a work in progress. Some more than others. The grumpy ones, for example, they need more work. We all still need areas of our lives transformed. There wouldn't be one of us in this room that could could go against that. Because each one of us needs more work done. If we're going to live lives that are faith-filled, that will stand in the midst of difficulty with genuine strength and hope. And if we're going to live a great life of witness, we need the continuing renewal of the Holy Spirit. Team, I'm finished, but early this morning, you can just come back and, and join me. I'm not finished. Just inviting them back early because I want to do something. We need him. We need him. If we're going to see revival happen in the church, we need him. We can do all we can to put in lights and sound and do everything we can to get the message out the best we can. But we need him. And you can't take up an offering to get the Holy Spirit's presence to be in the church. You can take up an offering to get everything else that helps connect the message with people. But beyond the message and everything we can do, we need the Holy Spirit. If you're going to live a life that's fruitful, that's going to be a great witness, that's somehow going to be able to put others ahead of yourself and live selflessly, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And we need more of the Holy Spirit in our church, in our ministries, in everything we are putting an effort into. We need the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we won't do it. Let's not do it. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you'll stand with me this morning. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you know each person here this morning. You know everything they're facing. You know every single situation and circumstance, good and bad. You know what each one of us is up against, what we're battling with, what we're facing. I just ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would refresh us in our strength today to keep standing firm and trusting God. There are some here this morning and it feels like you've tried God out, kind of given God his chance to make a difference in your life. And I just want to just encourage you right now. God knows your situation. He knows your circumstances. But the encouragement for you today is just stand firm and keep trusting God. Don't turn away from God. It doesn't get any better away from God. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Trust him. Holy Spirit, would you refresh in us, every one of us, the hope we received when we found salvation? Would our lives and our words declare your goodness? Would they witness in such a way that it would bring glory to you? I wonder this morning if you just posture yourself in a place of faith because I want to make some declarations this morning. I want this to be a moment between you and God. I wrote these yesterday and felt them to be prophetic, what God wants me to declare over our church and over your lives. 
So I want you to posture yourself in a place of receiving this morning. I declare encounters with the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, I just release you right now. Touch every heart and every life in Jesus' name. I declare right now in this place, people would be connecting and encountering the Holy Spirit afresh. I declare that dry and empty season for many would end right now in Jesus' name. Lord, those who are dry and thirsty and empty, I pray and declare right now that you would fill them afresh in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your refreshing upon them? I declare that disappointment would be overwhelmed with God's love and renewed hope. I pray they would have fresh dreams and renewed desire for more of you. And I declare that that disappointment would go now in Jesus' name. Some of you right now, you're even in the moment as I declare that, you're kind of holding on to your disappointment. It's like I have the right to be disappointed. Can I encourage you right now? Open your heart to God. Let go of your disappointment. Let the love of God fill your heart afresh. Let new dreams and new desires come. But you've got to let go of your disappointment. So I declare right now, disappointment go in Jesus' name. I declare that doubt would cease and faith would rise. I declare that faith, a fear, sorry, would relinquish control in people's minds right now and that perfect love would come and cast out all fear in Jesus' name. I declare that war on people's minds would finish now and that the Word of God would renew those minds in Jesus' name. I declare that broken relationships would be bound again with peace and joined in unity with the bond of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, where there are broken marriages, broken parent-to-child relationships, broken friendships, Lord, I speak now that they would be bound again in peace in Jesus' name. I declare every sickness to go right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we release you right now to heal sick people. If if you've got a sickness in your body right now, would you just slip your hand up wherever you are? Just put it up nice and high. If you see a hand around you, would you you put your hand on their shoulder in faith? Just put a hand on them and we're going to pray and we're going to believe for healing in their bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now I just declare that these sicknesses would go in the name of Jesus. Every ailment, every disease would go in Jesus' name. And we take authority over every sickness and every disease in Jesus' name. And we speak healing and wholeness in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the miracle of healing. We thank you that you're still healed today. I pray in Jesus' name we would get great testimonies of the healing power of God. Of God. Some of you have been told that you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. I break that off your life in Jesus' name. Where there is doubt and fear that I'm going to live with this for the rest of my life. Lord, we believe that you'll bring healing in Jesus' name. But we also declare that every life that has sickness in it would continue to bring glory to the name of Jesus. We'll continue to praise you and continue to glorify you. But we thank you for the miracle 
of healing right now in Jesus' name. I declare greater fruitfulness over our church and over our lives. When I say fruitfulness, we're talking about reaching people with the truth of Jesus. It wouldn't just be about the size we are or footprint we have or how big we've got. It would be about reaching lives with the truth of who Jesus is. So I declare a greater fruitfulness in the harvest in Jesus' name. The people would come to know Christ and have faith in Him. I just wonder this morning if there are people here and you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer and invited Jesus into your heart and into your life. You've never made Him Lord of your life. Or perhaps you once have, but you know that you've walked outside of the will of God for you. You've turned your back on God and you've walked away from Him. I'm not talking about you've sinned. I'm talking about you know that you've walked outside God's will and you've moved away from Him. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask in a moment for you to acknowledge it by raising your hand. And then after the service, I'm going to want to connect with you. But if that's you this morning, you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make that a face step. Would you raise your hand nice and high? I'll see it and I'll ask you to put it down. Is there anyone here this morning? As I just look around, anybody? Okay, Lord, we declare that we would see a great harvest of souls in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for an increased reach into the lives of those who don't know you. Lord, let Sundays be vibrant and alive. Let that atmosphere be one that would encounter hearts. Holy Spirit, there'd be an evident manifestation of your presence. But beyond these four walls, as we would walk about our week, Lord, would you help our lives to reach into other lives, that we would see a greater increase and reach in the area of souls. And we declare that in Jesus' name. I declare a turning back to Jesus for those who have strayed from him being at the center. He's got to be at the center of our lives. There's no other place for Jesus but at the center. And so I declare for those who have somewhat got distracted, somewhat strayed from Him, that He would again be the center of your life. You would open your heart afresh to Him this morning. Say, Lord, be Lord of my life. Be center of my will. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place right now. Have your way in each of our lives. As we sing in a moment, We invite heaven's presence to touch us. Holy Spirit, would you work in each one of us? Because every single one of us has an area of need, an area of growth, an area that needs transformation. As we reach out in faith today, would you do a powerful work in our lives, we pray. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing together. As we sing, let this be a faith moment for you. talked about it at the beginning. Let this be a a moment where you give God all your praise. When you do that, you put God back in the center of your life. It's your will to say, God, you are at the center of it all. Jesus himself made sure that his response to the enemy was that God would stay in his rightful place. He wouldn't stray outside the will of God. Praise and worship helps us to do that. So as we worship God, would you give God everything you've got in your worship? Would you open your heart afresh to the Holy Spirit? Say, this is a moment to connect with God. God bless you as we sing.